Democrats aren't smart enough to know that when you attack people, you enhance them. Yeah. So when the, the mayor of New York City and the governor of New Jersey and the governor of Illinois come out and call Governor Greg Abbott by name, that just makes him all the more popular. Exactly. Well, Sherry Sylvester, welcome to State House. You get, uh, I guess you'd call it the honor of being the first um, guest in the mobile podcast studio that uh, we have now. We have a you know, home studio we've done most of most of the show on. Um, but it also comes with you being the guinea pig. So we'll just see how this works out. <laughs> well, this is this is just terrific, Frank. This is uh, uh, amazing. You could go across America now or across Texas. Well, I'm planning on I'm planning on moving around. I want to, you know, after the Texas election, after the primary, which is really when ours ends, sort of pretty much, um, then I'm going to start doing the presidential. So I'm going to be moving to Florida and I've got a son in Florida and moving around the country. So that's my plan. Oh, that's a great plan. Yeah. That's a great plan. If you'll indulge me, I want to, for our listeners and and, uh, and viewers, I want to read a little bit about you, because um, if they don't know you, um, I actually learned some things from reading uh, a little bit about your background. Uh, incredibly impressive. But, you know, I think what, what most people know about you is uh, as being a public policy expert, and you've worked on uh, multiple multi-million dollar statewide campaigns in New York. New Jersey, Texas, and and been involved in uh, a bunch of Texas political campaigns. I did not know that you have also were named alumni of the year at uh, at your alma mater, Graduate School of Political Management, um, now at um, George Washington University. That's unbelievable. Very very nice. And um, early in your career, another thing I didn't know is that you worked for um, Senator Geraldine Ferraro. Yes. And uh, who, of course, was the first woman nominated as vice president. And then uh, also uh, Mayor David Dinkins, who's first African-American, voted in as the mayor of New York City. And then um, you came to Texas and uh, served for over a decade as spokesperson for and strategic advisor for the Texans for Lawsuit Reform, which is a very powerful um, political organization uh, here in Texas. And... Um, and and am very successful on the tort reform initiatives um, that occurred, and then you moved to uh, the transition team uh, on the original campaign for Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, um, and or also managed his 2018 campaign, and then served the last um, seven years as senior advisor to the Lieutenant Governor, which um, it had to be um, crazy fun. <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> absolutely and then um, and right now you are currently the distinguished uh, distinguished senior fellow at texas public policy foundation which we are sitting right out front of <laughs> and um so i, I really I, I wanted to let our viewers and, and our listeners know that because um you know for me it's it's an honor to have someone like you to come on my my podcast and talk about politics which is you know this is what it's all about the only thing I wanted to do is just kind of set the table just briefly, uh, in, in, in my opinion, as to where we are and very briefly. When we look at what's happening coming up in this next political 
well, I guess for for this uh, uh, primary season, um, the three broad issues that really kind of determined where we're headed um, were starting with the property tax relief issue, which took us into special sessions, the impeachment of the Attorney General um, Paxton, which had its own set of issues. Um, mostly this has been between the House and Senate uh, for the most part. I mean, there's a lot more issues, but I, but I think to give a broad strokes. Um, and then last was school choice, which probably caused, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of a grief amongst, um, you know, the governor and the lieutenant governor, because um, uh, they went through four special sessions and we still ended up, you know, now we're going to have to still address it, you know, going down the line. And we've we've had a couple of podcasts on that. Actually, um, one of your cohorts, uh, Mandy Drogan, came on and talked about that. Really important. It needs to be done. So. That's sort of the table I'm just setting. And what I wanted to find out from you is I did some research, but I wanted to hear kind of your thoughts on now that all that's happened, those votes have been taken. You know, there's some, uh, I would say, bad blood that's 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 un- running under that bridge right now. Um, we've got a lot of primary uh, campaigns that are coming up. And I just wanted to get your sense about where this election cycle is headed. Well, can I put a couple of more plates of on course. the table? Of course, absolutely. I would add the uh, crisis at the border, the migration, yeah, exactly. the massive migration at the border, and what I believe politically was Abbott's brilliant move to ship people up to blue cities. Yeah. And that has done more than anything else to let the rest of the world know what it's like. And and you know how ironic and crazy it is to hear New York City say, we just don't have the resources to handle this. <laughs> and you want to say, what do you think Eagle Pass yeah, is t- doing? Tiny little city <clears throat> with no resources. And And, you know, that's always politically the number one issue is the border. And the thing that I'm seeing in talking to people that are running for office, Abbott is popular. He's always been popular. He is enormously popular now. And so politically, one of the things that I think is going to make a real difference, Abbott has played in house races before. This, his name is very, very valuable because he's been on the national news. And of course, Democrats, uh, and I used to be a Democrat, you read my background, Democrats aren't smart enough to know that when you attack people, you enhance them. Yeah. So when the, the mayor of New York City and the governor of New Jersey and the governor of Illinois come out and call Governor Greg Abbott by name, that just makes him all the more popular. Exactly. So the House races that he's involved in, in supporting uh, candidates who back school choice, I think uh, his weight is going to be felt. I think the the ball game is a little bit different this time. He's been in ha- involved in House races before, but people know their House members. And generally, as a rule, they don't like to be they don't want don't like people from the outside to come out, but Abbott has has definitely he's always been good. He's always been popular, but he is definitely our leader in this one. He is more popular than he's ever been. 
Yeah, I, I think I think what he did was brilliant. And no matter how many times they try to act like uh, it's so hypocritical, you know, you hear it every day. But, you, you know, you set up your state or your city as a sanctuary city and then all of a sudden you don't want any of, of the people that you've created the sanctuary city for. And, you know, it's not to blame the people that are coming from these other countries. Yeah. Why wouldn't you come to the United States if, you know, you live in you live in any of the, in South American, some of the South American countries or Central American countries? Yeah, th this is the place where this is a place of opportunity. And but the Democrats have allowed for this awful setup where people are are just coming across the board. There's no support. There's no money in the cities. You know, people are having to come up with creative ways to move them, you know, around so that that it you know, sort of spread the wealth. And, you know, the people that are crying the most are the Democrats, the, the Democrat run cities and Democrat run states. So, yeah, very hypocritical. And it, it's they have a narrative they have this Texas narrative that we don't want these people because we're racist or because we lack compassion. Uh, and this just blew up the narrative. Yeah. But because anybody that's been to the border knows that that is not the case. I mean, I live in San Antonio. It's been majority minority city for 300 years. That's right. So this is not. This is not what this is about. What this is about is we don't have the resources in our schools. We don't have the resources in our medical uh, facilities. We do not have the resources to absorb 10, 12,000 people a day, which is what we had in this last six months. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, so it's blown up their narrative, and I think it will have consequences in national politics. Maybe you'll find that out when you're on the road, but I really believe it's going to have consequences in Texas politics. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, 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 think, I think for sure Texas politics, and I am wondering how this is going to play nationally. Um, I'm hoping that people are listening and watching. You know, there's only really one channel that covers it. Fox News is the only one that really covers the border. And if you look at the other channels and you look at what they, you know, the narrative that they they put out, it, it, it's it's so skewed. You know, I just wonder, are people actually seeing what's happening down there? You know, and it's it's such a game. But, um, you know, you know, they, there wasn't as much, uh, at least in this session, you know, they did get some, you know, some things done on the border a little bit. You know, they wanted more, but um, it was the issues that didn't really get taken care of or really fought over hard this session that have probably sparked more opposition to current incumbents, it seems like. You know, I was doing a little research and, you know, of the 60, and I was kind of using the Dan, uh, the, the, the Attorney General Paxton as the marker. And so, you know, the 60 House members who voted to impeach. Mm -hmm. And then I I was looking to see, well, how does that play out in the in the and now with, with the primaries coming up and you have um, they're not all related to that. But there's 47 of those incumbents that now have that have primary opponents. About eight of those um, are open seats, people that left that are leaving. And about half of those are people that voted against impeachment. Um, and then you, you know, I think with the other two issues that we talked about earlier, you know, they just never made it through the House and the Senate kept, you know, sending them the bill and doing their work and sending them the bill and uh, held up. And I know that 
with the, the Speaker of the House, you know, sort of putting a block on the ability of the House to take up some of these issues. Um, you know, I'm imagining some of those people fit into that same category of the people that voted, um, you know, to impeach. But there's some little a little bit of crosswinds going there because I think that some of those some of those members who voted for impeachment were also were voting for school choice. So um, I haven't done that analysis. I don't know if you if you've done that analysis or not, but it's a little it's getting a little complicated. It's it's frustrating. And and as you said in in talking about my resume, I worked for Lieutenant Governor Patrick. I I have done work in the House with with TLR because we we passed a lot of bills through the House. But I I am basically a Senate person, and uh, so it's it it seems like there's such a lack of focus. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I one of the stories that I like to tell about Lieutenant Governor Patrick is, uh, you know, he is the first senator or the first lieutenant governor since the 60s who actually was a senator. So people that were in the Senate were his colleagues. He also understands what it's like to be a senator. Yeah. And so if with the Democrats and the Republicans, uh he uh, they are his priority. He will meet with them if he has uh, a, a delegation from another country is in his office and a senator comes to the door and it may be the senator with the lowest seniority in the other party. He will end that meeting and and put the senator first. And so the senators know that he is in their corner. On the other hand, when when they when I read in in the Democrat uh, papers, which is virtually all of them, or see in the press, <laughs> that uh, Patrick has control of the Senate or he has the Senate under his thumb, I kind of want to say to them, "Have you ever met a Texas state senator?" <laughs> yeah. Good point. All, all of them, as you you know, Frank, oh, they yeah. represent over a million people. Yeah. It costs them millions of dollars to run for those elections. A lot of them believe in probably that they could be lieutenant governor yeah. that you these are not people you push around no no they're independent and as much as it it appears is that way yes that's what they that's what they print that um, he has some kind of hold over the senate uh you know it has it comes down to leadership you know you could say the same thing about you know and there's not a lot of examples of it you know lieutenant governors that were actually more powerful than anybody any of the big three and, you know, you look back to a Bob Bullock. Mm -hmm. Well, Bob Bullock, you know, and I was I started when Bob Bullock was a lieutenant governor. That was back, you know, back in the early 90s. I was uh, and you never thought of him as a Democrat. I just thought of him. He was a very he was a he was a good leader and he worked through all of his senators. He always took care of his 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 Senate and he was able to get. Uh, an enormous amount of things done. Same with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. It's the same principle. But no, you're not going to tell these guys who are independent. Uh, they all have their own businesses. They've got a million people, like you said, that they have to answer to. They still have to go back and get reelected. So they're not going to just give away their vote for no reason. A absolutely. And you see the, the kind of focus and leadership that Patrick is putting in. He, he's, he's got his priorities. And before those priorities are announced, I mean, he goes to the Senate. The Senate often gives him 
things that they want to make priorities, then move that forward. So there's a focus, a focus, a focus during the interim where he's going. And I have looked, and I know I'm not as close to it, but it's hard to see that coming out of the house. No. And I think that that's what's frustrating. I mean, you know, one of the jokes in politics is, you know, uh, the Democrats are the opposition. The enemy is the House, you know, but it's <laughs> so the two chambers are designed to war with each other. Right. But um, uh, Speaker Phelan, I'm, I'm not sure what issues are important to him. Uh, and uh, I think it's it's frustrating when we're trying to when Governor Abbott and Governor Patrick have an agenda that they're trying to move forward, and these guys over here are are seem to be divided up and and took us so long to get the property tax piece. Down. Yeah. yeah, you know, I I, I have to agree with you. I, I kept trying to figure out what was happening in the House. Why why was the House in opposition? And I, I would say. Speaker Phelan, because he's the leader of the House and he's determining what's going to come before the House. But, but why was it? Why were they in opposition to what to me seemed like an easy vote? You know, more property tax relief it just didn't make any sense. And then, as time went on, you started to see it was more than just that. It was any issue coming over from the Senate. It was seemed more personal, and I just think that's not a way to. To, to get business done. And I think what people are seeing and, and I'm, is that what's happening in D.C. has has come to Texas. And so you've, nothing gets done to a certain degree. And, and when I say nothing, I mean on the House side, it's just sort of standstill. And so no matter how much how many issues are 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 passed and pushed over and priorities are pushed over to the House side for, for them to uh, deliberate on, you know, how many actually did they take up? Not a lot. I, yeah, I don't think people, the Republicans are in in Texas doing a lot, spending a lot of time, a lot of resources. And of course, it's the primary fighting each other, though. But we had that before the primary. We had people being censored. And it, what we were seeing in Washington, you know, the speakers taking 15 votes in the first and then they would kick out McCarthy and then we can't get somebody else. Yeah, it's awful. And, uh, that really, really benefits the Democrats when when we do that. And, uh, you know, we, we have got to pull together. May 26th is the day for the runoff, the Republican primary runoff in Texas. And what I've been saying to Republicans is if your guy or woman loses on May 26th, get behind Republican and let's start fighting Democrats. Because I don't think that people realize... You, you know, Frank, because you were there. We Republicans and conservatives have not had the majority in Texas uh, forever. We got it in 2003. Yeah. 2003. And we we did it just by, you know, breaking, slowly breaking it in. We yeah. defined a weak link. And then we finally took it all in 2003. They could take it back. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Statehouse. You can find this podcast anywhere you find your podcast today. If you like our program and you want to see more, please subscribe, like it, share it with others. If you've got a comment, leave us a comment. Anything that makes us better, we appreciate. And we really appreciate, if you like it, to give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.